Good evening. If you're like me, uh, you've, you've uh, come off of a busy week and you've actually, uh, this is the beginning of the weekend with, with uh, Good Friday and Easter and there's a lot of things going on in your mind probably. Uh, with us, we had family coming and foods being cooked and all kinds of things. But uh, this, this evening is, is Good Friday and it's the time for us to put our thoughts again on the death of our Lord on the cross for us and what, what that means. I um, trust that God will take uh, the time in his word tonight, the time in prayer, the time in song, and the time in communion to help us once again. We've, we've looked at the cross before, amen? We look all the time to the cross, but, but this is a special night to do that, and we can ask the Lord to, to speak to us in, in a fresh and a new way. I hinted to you uh, on Sunday, last Sunday, that we're going to look at an Old Testament character named Mephibosheth. Anybody go back and look that up? Uh, who is Mephibosheth? And we will, because there's this uh, wonderful thing that happens in his life that illustrates Christ and the cross, which may sound surprising, but I think you'll agree with me before the evening is over. But our focus isn't really on Mephibosheth. We're looking at him because he makes us look at the cross. Um, and what we're going to do is we're going to, instead of one sermon, one solid sermon, I'm going to look at in four times. We're going to look at in the life of Mephibosheth and bounce to the cross four different times, short times. First time will have to be a little longer because I've got to show you who Mephibosheth is. Um, but each time we're going to have a little time in the Word and then we're going to respond either with song or with prayer uh, or with communion. And we'll, we'll just pray that God will use this time in our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Our Lord, we thank you for this evening and what it means. We thank you for the Lord Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for us. Take our song, take our praying, take the time in your word, and take the table here, the, the bread and the cup, and use it to pour grace into our lives and to open our eyes a little bit more to see you as you are and to um, glorify you and commune with us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Take your Bible if you brought it. And um, if, if you didn't, there's a kind of burgundy colored, red colored Bible in the back of the seat in front of you. You can take that. And um, turn to 257, which is where, where uh, 2 Samuel chapter 4 is. I want to introduce you to Mephibosheth. Uh, he first shows up here in 2 Samuel chapter 4. And what's happened is, is that this is a new nation of Israel. Saul was chosen to be king. But Saul disobeyed God and he, God's already said, you're not going to last and I'm going to put David in your place. But that hadn't happened yet. So there's, uh, it went on for a while and then uh, Saul's son, Jonathan, had been a dear friend of David. So what happens then is that in one battle, Saul the king and Jonathan, his beloved son and friend of David, they're they're killed. So now the kingdom should go to David, but, but it's not without a struggle. Some of the other descendants of Saul want to keep the control of the kingdom. So there's a struggle 
for a while, for control. Who's going to wind up as king? One of Saul's house or David? And eventually the tide turned in favor of David. But in verse 4, so chapter 4, verse 4, we, we see Mephibosheth for the first time. Because what happened was is as uh, it becomes clear that David is going to win, the house of Saul and all the people involved there panicked. Um, and it says, Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. That means the news about when they died. And his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. So we have here the grandson of Saul, the son of the good friend of David. And he, it, we hear this story of why, um, how, how it is that he became lame. Now turn to chapter 9. Go over to chapter 9. Verse 1, some time passes. David has solidified his rule. And it says in verse 1, and David said, see now he's, he's finished fighting these battles to get control. So when he, when he can rest and think, he says, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul? Is there any descendants left that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. So this guy had been the servant of King Saul. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. Oh, how King David's heart must have leapt. My good friend, one of his sons, is still alive. A son of Jonathan, he is crippled in his feet. And the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel of, at Lodibar. Then King David sent and brought him to the house, brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel of Lodibar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid and paid homage and David said Mephibosheth and he answered behold I am your servant and David said to him do not fear for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father meaning his grandfather and you shall eat at my table always and he paid homage and said what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I so there we see here that, that David is delivered. He's delivered Mephibosheth from certain trouble and from, from the condition that he was in the, of being a fugitive and being poor. He's delivered him out of that. And as we'll see in a, in a few minutes, he's delivered him, into a, delivered him from a whole lot of things and given him so much. But the question uh, may be asked, Why? Why did David deliver Mephibosheth? And we see a hint to it in verse 7. You see verse 7. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness. Why? For the sake of your father Jonathan. So you see, when Jonathan and David were running around together as young men, and Jonathan knew what God was doing. He knew that his own father was going to be taken away, and that it was God's will for David to be the next king. 
They were such good friends. They made a covenant together. And let me read some of the words that Jonathan said to David. He was talking about when you come into power. He says, if I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. He didn't know it, but he was going to have a son named Mephibosheth who was in that house. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. There had been a covenant between David and Jonathan, and because of that transaction that occurred between those two men, Mephibosheth was delivered. Amen? Mephibosheth didn't do anything in order to be delivered. The restoration, the deliverance, all took place because of a transaction between two other people, not himself. And I don't know if you know it or not, but you are delivered because of a transaction between two other persons. You're not delivered because of anything you do. You are delivered because God the Father and God the Son made a transaction on the cross. And so you're delivered. Now, I want to take a little, just a little, um, little tangent and just say this as a little caveat. Our God is Trinity. Amen? He's Trinity. Father, Son, Spirit. One being three persons. This is beyond our ability to completely grasp and understand. So sometimes uh, tonight I, I might drift into sounding almost like the father and the son were at odds or the son had to convince the father of something or the father had to convince the son of something. That's not it. There, there was no bartering. It was full unity in, in the Trinity. And yet we see So remember that, amen? But yet we see that the Father and Son made a transaction on the cross and because of that transaction, you're delivered. David and Mephibosheth made a transaction. Because of that transaction, Mephibosheth didn't even know about it. He becomes delivered. And so it is with us. And we'll think think in more... um, I want us to think in more detail about Mephibosheth's deliverance and that it's a picture of our deliverance. He was delivered from three uh, things or three realities and he was delivered to one great reality. So let's look at those four, but I'm going to give you just the first one now. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 9 verse 7 again. He's, God has delivered us from fear. First, Second Samuel 9, 7. And David said to him, first words out of his mouth, do not fear. Do not fear. And just as David delivered Mephibosheth from fear, Christ has delivered us from fear by dying on the cross. Jesus, so often in the Gospels, you saw when he would greet people, when he talked to his disciples, especially uh, after the, the resurrection, he says, do, be not afraid. Do not be afraid. Fear not. And so Jesus says that to us. You don't have to be afraid. And the Apostle John, who was one of the ones that stood and heard Jesus say to him, don't be afraid. One time he wrote, 
So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with it with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Imagine what the Apostle John is saying is that we have confidence in the day of judgment. We have confidence to walk up before the throne of God and the eternal judge of heaven, of the living and the dead, with confidence. Why? How can we walk to that day not afraid? Well, because there was a transaction made on the cross. And Jesus took all the guilt of my wrongdoing upon himself. And in his dying, he satisfied the justice of heaven's courtroom. Amen? He satisfied the justice of God. He propitiated the anger of God. He took care of it all on the cross. And so it's, it's gone. And so John is saying, perfect love casts out fear because now I don't have to be afraid to die and go to judgment. I don't have to be afraid of judgment. Hallelujah. Jesus and God and the Father took care of it on the cross. And there I have been delivered from fear. Amen? So the Lord has delivered us from fear. He's also delivered us from want. Look again at 1 Samuel 4, verse 9. As he, he calls Ziba, who had been Mephibosheth's grandfather's servant. He says, then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belonged to Saul and to all his house, I have given to your master's grandson. So all that belonged to his grandfather as king now goes to Mephibosheth. He's, he's, he's providing everything that Mephibosheth needs to live. Amen? Plus more. It's not, it's not like he's wondering if he's going to make it exactly. This is in abundance. And it reminds me of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Amen? So in Jesus Christ, God has, has poured blessing on our life. Everything that we need and more. And, and it, 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 our physical life as well as, as spiritual life, all of it, the whole package, God just, God just blesses. We know, of course, that we're living in an in-between. We're... we're um, not in the garden anymore, but we're not in heaven yet. Uh, and what Christ has accomplished on our behalf and for us, all that we're going to receive from God because of what Christ did on the cross for us, we, we, we're, not gonna get, we're, we're gonna taste it all, but not quite experience all of it yet. When the Lord Jesus comes back and the trumpet sounds and the dead are raised in Christ and and um, all that follows that, the heaven and, and the new heavens and the new earth, it's all going to come to completion. But, but in these days, we taste it all, don't we? Amen? And he takes care of us. He cares for us. 
He's made us rich in that sense. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And that reminds us even... Uh, well, think again, David, he's newly installed king and all the property, all the farms, all the everything that belonged to Saul, that's his now. So he gave it up and handed it to Mephibosheth. Every illustration has its limits. When God gives to us, <laughs> he's still eternally fulfilled. Uh, he has no lack and yet this, he says, for your sake he became poor. Christ gave up heaven, comes, becomes one of us, and then he goes in obedience to the Father, he goes to the cross, and he suffers. Something which, apart from saving us, he would not have to do. So he suffers for us. He becomes poor that we may become rich. Amen? And because of his great love for us, because of Christ's death for us. He's delivered us not only from fear, but he's delivered us from want. The significant blessings, we experience them now, but the eternal realization of complete blessings will come later. But now the eye of a loving, faithful God is on us. We have his attention and he's taking care of us. He's taking care of us. He's delivered us from fear. He's delivered us from want. He's also delivered us from death. He's delivered us from death. Now, later in the story, um, I'll, I'll read it for you, uh, but um, in, in, in chapter 21, there was this interesting thing, thing that happened, and I, I won't go into all the details of that, but there was a, an issue that happened um, between Saul's family and another people, and um, the Gibeonites, and justice had to be carried out, and the death penalty had to fall on the descendants of Saul, and seven had to be chosen were chosen to be killed. But in Second Samuel twenty-one seven, it says, still talking about David, but the king spared Mephibosheth the son of Saul's son, Jonathan, because of the oath of the Lord that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. And so here we see it again, that there came a time where justice could have, could have said, Mephibosheth needs to die, and yet, yet mercy says, I'm going to spare him. But once again, it's not because of Mephibosheth. And if you read the story as it goes on, there's, there's a lot of details I won't share tonight. But there, there, Mephibosheth really didn't deserve a lot of, a lot of mercy. <laughs> well, that's mercy, isn't it? We don't deserve it. But David says, no, because of what transpired between Jonathan and me, you're spared. You're spared death. Hallelujah. My day comes to die and I go before God and I stand before the judge and he says, you know what? You're guilty as sin. <laughs> In one sense. But something happened between me and Christ when he died on the cross and that means you go free. Hallelujah. You're not guilty as sin now because Jesus made himself guilty 
uh, sin. It, but it was your sin that was put on him. So you, the gavel comes down and he says, not guilty. Hallelujah. And his righteousness is now put on your account. So really it comes down as more than not guilty. It's righteous. Before the, the law and the courts of heaven, I am righteous. Because of what happened on the cross, not, not because of me, not because of me, because of that transaction. He has delivered us from death. Hallelujah. He's delivered us from fear, he's delivered us from want, and he's delivered us from death. But then he's also delivered us to something. It's not just that he delivered us from something. He delivered it to something. So we go back to chapter 9. We see it there. 2 Samuel uh, chapter 9. David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. And then notice how it ends. And you shall eat at my table always. You shall eat at my table. Not everybody got to eat at the king's table. So he takes Mephibosheth and he says, you're part of my family. You're going to eat like my sons and daughters eat. You're going to eat around my table. You're, you're here. You're with me. He's delivered us from fear and want and death, but he's delivered us into communion with himself he's delivered us to himself I think of Luke Luke's account of the, the night that we're remembering tonight and um, he had the disciples together in the upper room and he said to them I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer uh, the, the people that, the translators who tr took the, the original writings and tried to put it into English, you see, just to say, I've desired to eat this with you, it wasn't enough. The, 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 the meaning was too rich for that. And so this translator puts in the word earnestly. He says, this is the Lord. And he's saying, I've earnestly, earnestly, I've so been looking forward to eat this meal with you. I think, you know, the Lord, sometimes we doubt this, we doubt this, but perfect love casts out fear. How much he loves us, that he earnestly wants to commune with us. That's why Christ went to the cross. He wasn't just trying to save us trouble. He did that, but he's trying, he's getting us to himself. He, he wants to walk with us. He wants us to walk with him. He wants our satisfaction to be him, our joy to be him. Our help to be him, our hope to be him. It's to himself that he's delivered us. And how wonderful that the one ongoing ordinance that he's given his people is this table. It's a table. It's a place that we eat. And he says, you're going to eat, you're going to eat at my table. Amen? You're going to eat at my table. You were my enemy. You were a rebel against me. But I've, I've taken care of that with Jesus on the cross. Now come eat at my table. Eat at my table. Oh, praise his name. Listen to this verse. You've heard it before. For by grace 
you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, Mephibosheth. All that you were saved from, all that you were saved to Mephibosheth, it was because of Jonathan and David, not you. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of your working, so that no one may boast. Amen? And the one who wrote those words in another place said, what I boast of is the cross of Christ. Amen. And that's who we boast of is the Lord of the cross. Let's close in prayer. Oh, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for tonight. We thank you for being able to be around this table together. And we thank you for the meaning of the table, what it points our minds to, what it puts the focus of our faith on. And that is the Lord Jesus dying in our place to satisfy the justice of heaven so that we are counted righteous and have eternal life. We have forgiveness. We are cleansed. Oh Lord, we love you. We praise you and we worship you. Do your will among us, Lord. Bring us back together on Sunday. And um, I earnestly desire to be together with these people on Sunday and to look inside that empty tomb together. Oh Lord, Bring us back for that and, and just use this holy weekend to work a new work in our hearts. We pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Go in peace.